Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Stay tuned for a July show. Well, welcome to this latest episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference, and I am broadcasting today from the United Methodist Foundation in Huntersville, and they are one of our big sponsors, and because we have a staff function going on over here this afternoon, uh, I've come in a little bit early and started the show here. Our guest this morning by phone is Dana McKim who's the minister to the university at Pfeiffer and is the pastor of the Village Church. And uh, we're going to get a little bit more detail of what that entails. And he is in the big city of Meisenheimer, North Carolina, this morning. Uh, Dana and I go way back. Uh, We met first in 1982, and we were both being sent out as Duke students to serve in churches that summer before we started seminary. So today we'll reminisce a little bit and then talk about the present. And I just welcome you to the show, Dana. Oh, I have to hit a button so he can be on. There we go. Are you hey, on? Michael. I'm yeah. here. Yeah, it's the it's... magic of radio. If you don't hit the right buttons at the right time, people aren't there. So We sometimes... all folks shouldn't try to do technology, Mike. Well, they shouldn't, but um, occasionally <laughs> we have to. And um, it, it's a fascinating thing. Well, thank you for thing. the invitation. It's a privilege to be with you. Yeah, so we do go way back. I I think of those days. How could that be so long ago? 33 years is a long time. It does seem hard to believe that it was that long ago. Yeah, at that point in my life, I didn't even think I would live to 35, and now 33 years later, I'm talking to you here on radio. So it's pretty amazing. Um, and, so and that was let's quite, hear about quite a summer. Uh, where you grew up. Where where did the, all of this start? Uh, it began in Miami, Florida. I was—I uh, grew up in Miami, just outside of Little Havana. I was a part of a small United Methodist congregation at the time called Southwest United Methodist Church. It was just a few blocks from my house. We had only one car. It was within walking distance. So uh, my my family's connections in previous generations had been with the United Methodist Church. So. My mom would make sure that my brother and I got to church each week, and and we would walk there, and that congregation took great care of me. A part of what took place is growing up in that particular community, and in particular my family situation, uh, was somewhat difficult. And I was fortunate to have, albeit a small congregation, a congregation that was also full of dedicated United Methodist women. And those those ladies took fantastic care of me, you know, as so many children that come from interesting family backgrounds. I did not know that the community knew what was going on in my life at the time, <clears throat> and they were very generous to take care of me, look after me, and eventually mm-hmm. sent me to Leesburg United Methodist Youth Camp in the central part of Florida. It was the Florida Conference Camp. Mm-hmm. And I had an incredible experience there where I experienced my conversion to Christianity. Returned the next year to the same camp, again, uh, through the the efforts and 
generosity of the Methodist women in that church. And uh, that was the year that I experienced my call to ministry. I was just 14 years old at the time. And that camp, to, to this day, continues to be very near and dear to my heart, as does camping ministry in general. Mm. I'm excited to be minister in residence first week in August at Camp Tacoa, where my daughter will be at camp that week. So uh, I've always remained connected to camping ministries since that point. While I was there in Florida, in Miami, I had the privilege of serving on the as president of the District Youth Council and working with the Conference Youth Council and then Reverend Dick Wills, now Bishop Wills. Mm. Um, we worked together there, and one of the things that I did was was I was responsible for uh, a district-wide youth event. And at that event, we had a pastor who came to talk about colleges and where you uh, should think about going to school. I was a senior in high school at the time. Turns out that he grew up here in Meisenheimer. His okay. sister actually still lives here. And uh, he told me about Pfeiffer College. It was Pfeiffer College at the time. And my interest in pursuing Christian education, which is I, at the time where I thought my call was leading me, Pfeiffer was the place to go for Christian education at the undergraduate level. So mm -hmm. I came up here, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with North Carolina, and found myself at home up here. That sounds a little bit like my story. Um, it, it's amazing the number of people, especially our age, who uh, came into ministry through camping, uh, through youth events. Uh, I, I was district youth council president in the Andalusia district in Alabama and worked with the conference youth council. Uh, it was an amazing uh, part of my my upbringing, and uh, uh, we share that with a lot of people. That is fascinating to me. Where did you go uh, that first summer? Uh, I remember when uh, we all met at a Holiday Inn there in Durham, and we're doing our that, thing that there. That first summer, uh, I actually stopped by the parsonage of the church that I was assigned to. Uh, it was Bethlehem United Methodist Church in the community of Climax. Okay. And I, it was on the way to Duke, and so I thought, well, let, let me just stop by here, see the church, meet the pastor. And I, I went, and I was absolutely devastated. Hmm. Um, I, I, I showed up. I knocked on the door. This, this sweet little old lady came to the door, did not identify herself. I told her I was looking for the parsonage, didn't know if uh, it was the parsonage or not. And she said, well, come on and sit down. And I sat down, and I, I sat for what felt like forever before this wee, slight, bent-over little old man came tottering down the hallway with hearing aids in each ear and Coke bottle glasses, bent over with uh, scoliosis and arthritis. And he shook his hand out, and he said, Hello, I'm Jack Waldrop. Hmm. Nice to meet you. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, sweet Jesus, Maurice Ritchie, where have you put me? 
So I had full intention of getting back to school and letting him know, look, I need another placement. This this just does not interest me or excite me at all. So when uh, Maurice met me, he began to express to me how excited he was for the placement that I had been given because Jack was his mentor in his first placement as an hmm. intern at Duke Divinity School. And so you can imagine that I changed my mind rather quickly about that conversation. And Michael, let me tell you what, that summer was the ride of a lifetime. And I learned hmm. more from that man than I have learned from anyone before or since about pastoral care, pastoral ministry, and the church uh, Jack was absolutely brilliant, and I am forever grateful that I, I had the opportunity to serve under him. And there was a pastoral change midsummer. Walter Cooper came in behind Jack, completely different than Jack, but hmm. with a wide range of skills and abilities and technology that was pretty much non-existent in the church in those days. And we had a great time together. I ended up becoming... Uh, his pastor in his retirement years as I served Bunker Hill Church. Sure. And I ended up having the privilege of sitting with him through his decline as a result of cancer and and celebrating his uh, celebration of life service with he and his family. So uh, while it was a crazy summer, a crazy beginning, um, it was very formative for me, and probably one of the things that led to confirming that Western North Carolina was where I wanted to be uh, and not return home to, to Florida at that time. And mm. so very grateful to Duke for that experience, Gr- very grateful to Maurice Ritchie for his involvement in placing me, and uh, just eternally grateful to those two men, Jack Waldrop and Walter Cooper, for the way they helped form and shape me very early in my ministry. Yeah, yeah. I, I look back, and and Maurice Ritchie had a way of uh, appointing students to places. Um, I remember the second place that they sent me. Uh, I had no desire to go there. Um, they sent me out to Bellwood, North Carolina, uh, uh, to right, yeah, work with Keys Pendleton, and right. I thought I am never going to survive a summer. Uh, with this guy and and over the years he and i have been best of buddies that community has you know been very much a part of who i am it was the reason that i ended up here in western north carolina and uh, i'll never forget wanting to go back and saying the same thing to maurice i think you blew it and uh, uh and it and it wasn't so it was probably uh, the best thing that could have happened to me was to be sent to bellwood north carolina and uh, to this day, that community, you know, is still a part of who I am. I yeah. I ended up being a camp director at Loy White, and got to yeah. stay around that community for for a couple more years. It was, you know, one of those things I would have never believed it when he first sent me out there. But that's how it goes. So uh, that, let's talk. That a glorious little... trailer was still out there, by the way, Michael. The last time I was at Loy White to do a chrysalis event. Uh, or actually, it was a um, uh, an Emmaus weekend. I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, and and it it's still there. And that's what I, where I stayed. They didn't make me stay there. I chose to do that for the nostalgia. 
You oh, and yeah. I were right down the street from each other, actually, when you were there. I was over in Lincolnton with James That's Hamilton right. that same summer. And I think we, we we sought consolation with each other a number of times, only to learn that uh, it was a summer of a lifetime for both of us, and, and we learned a lot from those guys. Oh, no doubt about it. And, yeah, that trailer, uh, I can tell you some stories. Uh, <laughs> Um, there is a guy up in the Minnesota conference right now who interned with me uh, the summer, the second summer I was there. And uh, Bill Eaves uh, uh, got uh, bitten by a rat while yep. uh, staying in that trailer. Also, um, had a snake wrapped around his leg. Um, yeah. And uh, the guy still stayed in ministry, which is amazing to me, and is doing a great job up in 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 Minnesota to this day, but uh, you know to think that it all started there that uh, was quite an amazing uh, uh, round, and uh, I look forward to that. Now let's talk a little bit before uh, we talk about you ending up at Pfeiffer. Um, where were some of the other places you served over uh, your career? Well, it, I actually started at Pfeiffer. Um, okay. I was sent back here to a two-point charge, Matins Grove in Zion. I preached homecoming yeah. at Zion just this past weekend and helped install their new pastor. And uh, there was uh, several other places that I've had the privilege of serving, in, including being the founding pre- pastor of Christ Church in Hickory, that uh, mm. is now Christ Church with its many campuses. Uh, Mount Tabor in Winston-Salem is an associate pastor, uh, Bunker Hill in Kernersville, Archdale United Methodist Church in Archdale. So I, I've been fortunate to serve a number of congregations, both large and small, both as a staff member or as a senior pastor. And uh, it's it's I've had a wide and rich range of experiences that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. So how did you end up at Pfeiffer the second time around, and, and now uh, you've been there uh, six years. Tell us um, how that uh, all came about. I got a call from my district superintendent, C.M. Worthy, not really expecting anything other than come by and see me. I, I didn't hmm. even think about it being appointment season, and my church, Archdale, was just about a mile and a half from the district office, so it, and I was president of the district clergy, and uh, it was not uncommon for me to have to run up to the district office for things, and he, he asked me to drop by and see him. I was utterly shocked when I got there to learn that Pfeiffer and the president at the time, Dr. Chuck Ambrose, had talked to Sandy Giles, the superintendent of the former Albemarle District, and asked for permission to approach me about coming here as minister to the university and pastor of the village church. Uh, I sat there in CM's office slack-jawed for about 20 minutes while he explained the situation to me and also explained that as the cabinet did not initiate this, I didn't have any obligations. But I really uh, appreciated Chuck Ambrose. I, I had a good relationship with him for about 13 years at that point and was uh, very pleased with some of the things that he was doing to keep Pfeiffer on the map and felt obligated to have a conversation with him. I really fought the call, Michael, for about two weeks. Uh, Mm. You know, we're not really allowed to talk about these things when they're happening, and uh, that was 
very difficult because I really felt a need for some counsel. So I'll just confess now, and the bishop can move me if he needs to, but I cheated a little bit and did uh, have some conversation. And every time I talked about it, uh, folks would look at me and said, oh, Dana, that's the perfect appointment for you. You need to go. I came and interviewed for the position and, and talked with the staff parish committee here at the Village Church. And it was really the interview process and some of my answers to their questions that um, led me to go ahead and make the decision that, that I would respond to the invitation to come here. I think the thing that pushed me over the edge was uh, John Howard, who mm. is uh, a student at Duke Divinity School right now, a candidate for ministry. John uh, was the chairman of the Village Church Staff Parish Relations Committee, and he asked me this question at the beginning of the interview, which was, Dana, why do you want to come here? And I looked at him square in the eye in the committee as well and said, well, I don't. <laughs> um, you all called me. I didn't call you, first of all. But second, it's not about what I want. It's about what God needs and whether or not God needs you and I to be working together. I said that's the only reason why anyone should come here and that's because God has called them to do that. And I realized I really wasn't speaking to the committee at the time. I was talking to myself. Mm. And we made the decision, my wife and I, on the way home, that, uh, yes, we felt like uh, this was the next step in my ministry. And when I got home, I called my district superintendent, who informed me that it was already too late, <laughs> that Pfeiffer had talked to their district superintendent, he, in turn, had called him. They, in turn, had called the bishop, and the appointment had been made. So I got a bit of a laugh over that as I heard the railroad, uh, heard the train coming through the town. and That's right. Uh, realized that uh, that there was something at work beyond me. So that that's what brought me back home. And okay. and one of the things that the president at the time said, and that was, uh, Dana, it's time for you to come home. And Pfeiffer has been my home in so many ways. I have lived here more than I have lived anywhere else in North Carolina. And uh, I'm, I am quite at home here. Well, excellent. We're going to take a break right now, come back and talk more about your relationship with uh, Pfeiffer and with the Village Church. So... Here's a word from Sally Queen of our conference staff. My name is Sally Queen, and I'm the Associate Director of Ministerial Services. By virtue of our baptism, we are all called into ministry. This call is being faithfully lived out in the communities of Western North Carolina as people of all ages participate in building God's kingdom. Others are responding to God's call to license or ordain ministry by committing to faithfully lead our churches in vitality. All who are called are using their talents and gifts to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build a church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes. And we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. 
You can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina at our sponsor page on the show's website, which is umconnect.info. So we're back now with Dana McKim, and we're going to finish out the show talking uh, specifically about uh, Pfeiffer and the Village Church. And uh, what we do know is that the Village Church is not like uh, other campus ministries across the country, um, and it is a unique situation. And I want us uh, to learn a little bit more about that. Tell us uh, what it is like serving uh, Pfeiffer University as a, as a campus minister, but also serving the Village Church. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about that, Michael. Um, my predecessor, Dr. Chris Hughes, who was minister to the university, and Dr. Chuck Ambrose, who was president at the time, really felt like they wanted to pioneer something new and different, not just in relation to the to the campus ministry, but also in relation to the university itself. The concept's not a new concept, and the label that has been assigned to it is university as church, church as university, where the integration of faith and life, or in Wesleyan terms, piety and knowledge come together. And so they pioneered uh, a vision to have the first fully constituted United Methodist congregation on a United Methodist University campus that was run by the students. Uh, No one had tried this before, as a matter of fact. When the uh, folks that began the process began to look at models and other folks that they might turn to to make this happen, they realized that no one else had done anything like this. When we had our university senate visit, that is the group that is responsible for, that has oversight of our United Methodist colleges, schools, and universities, uh, we found that the same thing to be true uh, some five, six years later, that still there there was no one really doing campus ministry the way we were. So uh, this idea was born and it's a very interesting concept. I am the only United Methodist pastor that can stay put and be guaranteed to lose nearly all of his congregation every four years mm-hmm. because my congregation is in a state of constant flux. But we are a bona fide United Methodist Church. We have a governing body, much like the church council. Some of our our nomenclature is different than what the denomination uses so that it makes sense in the university setting. But we have trustees. We have a staff parish committee. We have finance. We send our apportionment dollars into the conference. uh, And in that way, we are actually one of the churches that support other campus ministries across the state of North Carolina. And we uh, are at the same time helping the students here not to consider being the future of the church, but to actually be the church. Mm. Part of what has happened as a result of that, uh, we on any given year have as many as four or five of our students in in what was the Young Adult Mission Intern Program of the General Board of Global Ministries. We keep a global map on the wall outside our offices that point where all of our students are serving, and in any given year we've had as many as 13 students, staff, and faculty that have been serving as missionaries somewhere in the world. People also are finding their call to ministry through the work that we do, and uh, it it has really been kind of a white-knuckle roller coaster ride since the day 
I arrived here, I never thought that my life would be dependent on 20-year-olds and mm. that my bosses would be 20-year-olds, but that's kind of what has unfolded here. And it's it's been very exciting, and it's been a, an honor and a privilege to be with so many who have pursued ministry both as lay people committed to Christian service, full-time Christian vocations, and those seeking consecration and ordination. And uh, it's it's really been uh, transformative for me as well because every day these students challenge me and uh, I'm, I continue to learn how to see the world through their eyes mm. rather than these old eyes. I hear you. Uh, it was interesting. I, I uh, was at Huntington College when uh, Chris Hughes was uh, the minister to that university, our campus minister, and um, benefited from his leadership over that time. How has uh, campus ministry changed over the years? I'm thinking back. I finished in 82, and uh, uh, we were doing a whole different thing in 82 than uh, we're certainly doing now. Um, what have you seen as uh, differences? Well, I talk about it in two different contexts. First, I want to talk about what some of my colleagues are, are dealing with in public universities. Mm. And I think for, uh, we're, we're very uh, fortunate in Western North Carolina to have some very strong United Methodist Campus Ministries, Wesley Foundations, United Campus Ministries at every public institution in, in Western North Carolina. But one of the things our students constantly face in the public arena is there is an increasing hostility toward the Christian faith in public institutions. Hmm. And so it it becomes more and more difficult to live out your faith, to be a person of faith in, in public institutions. And our uh, campus pastors on those campus uh, campuses are uh, a vital part of the work of those campuses, but at the same time, their students are, are often very challenged, both in the classroom and in social settings, to to maintain their faith. And mm. uh, it's it's really uh, it's really a heartbreaking thing to see when our youth get very excited. They want to go to school. They want to get a degree. They venture out uh, only to find out that. The world is becoming increasingly hostile to people of faith, mm. in particular people of the Christian faith. So I think that's that's a huge challenge, and, and along with that comes the funding issue. I sit on the Conference Council for Higher Education and Campus Ministry, and uh, our conference has been very generous to fund a number of initiatives, but even with the funding that we supply, all of those ministries have to do fundraising on their own to, to keep the doors open, keep ministry flowing. I think another piece, and this would be a bridge piece between uh, the United Methodist schools and the campus ministries at our public institutions, is service learning and, and mission work have become increasingly important. 
Uh, Our students want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. doesn't matter whether it's a public or private church-related institution. They want to have opportunities to go out and serve, and college life becomes the perfect point at which to do that. So for us and for those ministries also, Uh, Going out, doing international mission trips, doing national mission trips, uh, particularly when there have been disasters in the southeast that that we can respond to, Uh, even doing local mission work, hands-on engagement, that's what our students want to be about. That's what they want to do. And so uh, more than sitting around having Bible study, worship experiences, and those kinds of things, our students want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They don't want to just sit around and talk about it. They want to get out and do it. And uh, that's very important to them. And then as far as uh, ministry within our five United Methodist colleges and universities across the conference, of which we are one, yes, even though the village church is unique in in what it is, uh, there are many things that we hold in common with our, our sister institutions. And so worship is is a primary focus of of the ministries of those schools uh, as it is with our public institutions as well but at one point in time worship was something that we did for or to the students right. they came to an, a very organized chapel service uh, the, the the campus pastor preached um the the music programs of those institutions might supply the music it was a more traditional and formal experience of worship. What happens, at least here, is we have such a diverse community. We have a wide range of worship experiences that are student-led and student-driven, not only on Wednesday morning, which is our traditional chapel time, but at other points throughout the week. We don't hold services on Sunday morning. It's just it's not an optimal time for my congregation. They're... Uh, Let's just say they're very busy on Saturdays, and so Sunday morning is not the best time for them to find their way to church. But I do have a lot of folks that go out on Sunday mornings. They miss, college students do miss that um, less homogenous experience. They they want to see grandmas and grandpas and hear babies in church, mm-hmm. and that's not something that I can offer on Wednesday morning. So they miss that, that multi-generational experience that they've had from their home churches. So we try to afford an opportunity for both. We have a number of churches in the community with which we're we are connected. And I think uh, most importantly is student led and student driven uh, is a is a mantra that's very important to us that uh, our, our students show us how it is they want to worship, how it is they want to be in ministry. And it's our our work to walk alongside them. I'm very fortunate to have Sherry Barnes here as my associate pastor that also uh, helps coach through that. And as chair of our district board of ordained ministry, she's a fantastic mentor for some of our students who want to pursue ministry. So we're very blessed in that regard. Okay. We've already gone beyond live time, uh, so if anybody was listening live, you've already been cut off, but we get to keep recording for a few more minutes. I've got one more question for you, and then uh, we'll close out the show. Um, You're on the front lines with young adults. What does the United Methodist Church need to do to reach that generation for the future? 
stop being irrelevant. That, that would be my plea. When we fight and argue over things that have nothing to do with the gospel and redemption, when they see the church in conflict, they write us off as irrelevant. Because they're looking for grace-filled moments, not for judgment. They're looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not serve on committees. And when they look at the church in argument, churches in conflict with their pastors, churches in conflict with each other, churches in conflict with the denomination, uh, when those conversations emerge, they simply turn off, tune out, and find something else to do. One of the things that's happening in our culture is this idea of being spiritual but not religious. That's a mark of this particular generation. They will find a way to express and experience spirituality. If the church is not willing to do that or be that for them, then that that's fine. They will move on to whatever's next. So I think uh, ways that we can build unity, become agents of grace, be- provide opportunities for hands-on missional engagement in the world, that's what the 20-somethings that I work with want to do. That's where they want to be. That's the kind of church that they want to experience. And I think the other thing is church without walls. Uh, Mm. Increasingly, they don't want to be restricted and bound by a piece of property and walls. They want the church to be out in the world. We have a building on campus here. It's called the Henry Pfeiffer Chapel. That's the university chapel. That's not our church. Mm. Our church is the body of Christ incarnate, and it is wherever they gather and it is wherever they are in ministry and service. Well, I don't know if it could be said any better than that, and I'm going to find a way to get that word out there, Dana. So thank you so much for your time today. It's good to uh, be on the radio with an old friend, and uh, I look forward to hearing more about this ministry in the future. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, and thanks, everyone, for listening to us on Blog Talk Radio. The show is going to be available as a podcast at our Blog Talk page and at the show's website, and you can keep up with the latest on our website, umconnect.info. We'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.